Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I hope that you're staying warm and dry during the season. Um, winter in the Northwest isn't all that harsh in terms of ice and snow, uh, but the rain is constant and the darkness is long. That's something that was particularly surprising to me when I moved up here from Texas several years ago. They tell you that Seattle is a city that's rainy, but they don't tell you how dark it gets because the sun sets at about four in the afternoon and it doesn't come back up until almost nine in the morning. That's a lot of dark. Um, and so I don't know how this might affect you. I know it can have a real effect on a person. I wonder, were any of you affected by the, the windstorm that happened this past weekend? Uh, I know several people across the region, lots of people lost power. Uh, Caitlin and I were among those. We were at home getting ready to go out for the evening, actually, when the, with just a little bit of a flicker, we were plunged into darkness. The, the winds were howling, um, and just everything went dark. And it's amazing how dark it can really be when the power goes out. It gets really dark. Uh, and so, I don't know uh, if any of you are afraid of the dark, or maybe have been afraid of the dark. I know for myself, as a kid, I had my own little terror of darkness. The house I grew up in had this entrance that, from, from it there was a long hallway, there was a, the front door and a big window out to the outside there, and there was a long hallway, and when you went down the hallway, if you went to the right, uh, you'd head toward the bedrooms, and if you went to the left, You'd head toward the, the living room part of the house. Uh, but any time you went from the living room to the bedrooms, you had to cross this hallway that led to the, the entrance. And at nighttime, the entrance was dark, and that window was darker. And so as a kid, any time I was going from the living room to the bedroom or vice versa, I would just run because <laughs> I was afraid. Like, I didn't, I didn't like the darkness down at the end of the hallway, and I didn't know what was lurking down there. And so I, I was afraid of that. I don't know if any of you have memories like this um, or perhaps still have uh, the, the darkness might raise your heartbeat a little bit. Um, I think that the darkness can be a really scary thing. And sometimes it's scary not just because it's dark. It's scary because it can be really quiet too. Because we're not just afraid of darkness. I think we're also very afraid of silence, which is probably why televisions and smartphones are some of our constant coping mechanisms. Because they fill the darkness with light, and they fill the silence with sound. And so we keep the TVs on, we keep our smartphones close, because they disrupt that darkness. They interrupt the silence that we can be so afraid of. Well, with these kinds of things in mind, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 1 is uh, where we were last week, and we're still there this week. Today we're continuing our Songs of the Season series, uh, today with Zechariah's song. Last week I pointed out that the first few chapters of Luke are actually a musical. 
They're basically a musical that every few moments that you see, if you flip through, if you've gotten there, uh, you'll see that paragraphs break down into verses. First, Mary begins to sing, and then today we're going to look at Zechariah begins to sing. Then in chapter 2, a whole choir of angels show up to sing. It is a musical. And so this time of year is packed full of holiday songs that's blaring in the stores as we shop and on the radio. But here, we're spending some time with this different set of songs. And so last week we looked at Mary's song, today we're looking at Zechariah's, and just like last week, I want to begin before the song itself and read most of Zechariah's story. So we're going to begin in verse 5, and we'll see that his song is one that rises out of silence and speaks to light in the midst of darkness. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once When he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at that time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, but how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. And I'll jump down to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives have this name. And then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. And then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. And this is his song. He sings, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories and these songs that we can hear, sing, and meditate on together. God, as we sift through your words in this scripture, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, that was a lot of story. Um, And just like Mary's song last week, I want to focus on the actual song there at the end. It's a dense text filled with all kinds of things. But before we get into the song, it's really important that we emphasize where this song comes from, what the context is that it comes out of. This is why we read that whole story. Because after I spent some time reflecting on this text throughout the week, I think that it wasn't only the circumstances of Zechariah's life that were changed, but rather the very core of Zechariah himself was transformed. You see, where was Zechariah when we first met him? Or rather, who was he when we first met him? According to verse 6, he was righteous, he was blameless, and he was living according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. 
He's a priest, and he serves in the temple. In other words, he's a good church person, doing good church things. And he and his wife had grown up in that. This is who Zechariah is. And now you would think that a priest who spends weeks at a time working in the temple, offering sacrifices to God in the holy place, a good church person, doing good church things, you would think that he would be well-prepared to receive a message from the Lord. And yet, when the angel shows up, Zechariah is terrified. And then, when the angel shares this good news with him, Zechariah does not believe that it could be possible. So the angel disciplines him with silence. Now, I think it's only human to have some measure of doubt at getting news like this. But I don't think that's the whole story of what's going on here. I don't think that Zechariah is punished primarily because he doubted God. I think rather he was punished because he was actually too sure of God. He had God in a box. He was so familiar with God that this crazy wild thing that was going to happen couldn't be possible. That was outside of his box. And this is an occupational hazard for, well, good church people who do good church things. Studying the scriptures and gathering together to worship God every week ought to prime us for encounters with God during the week. It ought to get us ready to discover the kingdom of God, as we have written on a banner over there. But a lot of time, it can actually do the opposite. Bible stories become just that, old Bible stories. And when something of the kingdom actually breaks into our current experience, we so easily miss it because we're good church people doing good church things. The very ones who are meant to be most ready to see the kingdom become the least ready to actually receive it when it comes. And so with all of our years of Bible study, we are more than ready to give an answer for our faith. But sometimes it has hardly prepared us to receive the fruit of that faith when it comes. And that's what happened with the Pharisees during Jesus' ministry, and I think that's what happened with Zechariah here. He's not ready to receive the good news that's presented to him. But as we can see, the antidote to being blinded by having all the answers is silence. I think when the angel disciplined Zechariah with nine months of silence, that he actually gave Zechariah a great gift. And that gift was not just being disciplined with silence, but the spiritual discipline of silence. It's very likely also, just a fun fact, I learned this this week, that it wasn't just speech that he lost, but also hearing. Because if you saw uh, whenever the baby is born, they're motioning to him, trying to figure out what's going on. So it's, it's not just that he is not able to speak during these nine months. He's also very likely unable to hear during these nine months. So he 
spends these nine months in solitude and silence. And that is a very ready remedy for having all the answers, for being ready to give all the answers. He can't even speak. So it was nine months of real, true silence that transformed Zechariah from a questioning priest into a singing prophet, from a good church person doing good church things to a person who sees and declares what it is that God is actually doing. And you see, silence is scary for us, just like I mentioned at the beginning. It's scary because it forces us to deal with the restlessness and the ache that might exist in our hearts. It's scary because it can show us just how vulnerable we really are. Because so many of us take control of situations or put up our best defenses with our words. But silence forces us into vulnerability. Just like losing the power. Suddenly, the inside is just as cold as outside. Silence plunges us into vulnerability, and ultimately it forces us to admit that we're not God. We aren't God. No matter how much we might try to pretend that we are with all the words that we speak, God is God, and we're not. Because in the midst of silence, and in the midst of darkness, it was God who spoke and said, let there be light. This is who God is. It's in the midst of silence that we can begin to hear that still, small voice of the Lord. And that is the real key, I think, to the spiritual discipline of silence. According to Richard Foster, who wrote a whole book about various spiritual disciplines, he says that practicing silence is ultimately about cultivating a listening heart. He refers to an old saying that says, all those who open their mouths close their eyes. But that the purpose of silence and solitude is to be able to really see and hear. So when the angel appeared to announce good news, Zechariah wasn't able to really hear it. But after nine months of real silence. He has finally heard it loud and clear. And at that moment that his tongue is loosed, he sings out to announce that news to everyone around him. This is Zechariah's song. It rises up out of silence. So let's take a closer look at it now. Down in verse 68. Zechariah's tongue is loosed and he lets forth, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. And I think that this first verse of his song is really a summary of the whole song. If it were a modern pop song, this would be the chorus. This would be the part that it comes back to over and over again, that the Lord has redeemed his people. It's a chorus about the redemption that God is working. And the rest of the song begins to unfold what it is that that redemption really means. 
In verses 69 through 75, he begins to look back to David, to Abraham, to the prophets. And then in verse 76 to 79, he looks forward, not only to his own son, John, but also beginning to look toward the coming of Jesus. And in each of these, both in the looking back and the looking forward, we see that redemption has two meanings. Because when God redeems his people, he does not only save them from, but he also saves them for. Salvation is not only from something, but also unto something. He's not just looking to make good church people. He's trying to create kingdom people. So let's take a look at that more closely. In verses 69 through 75, Zechariah looks back to the stories of David and Abraham. In his months of silence, these stories have ceased to be merely old stories from the scriptures. They become for him living and breathing stories that are in the present moment. And so as Zechariah sings of David and Abraham and the prophets from old, the past actually becomes present for him. The stories of Scripture come alive. In verse 69, he says, He has raised up a mighty Savior in the house of David. In verse 72, he says, He has shown the mercy of promise to our ancestors, to Abraham. In these months of silence, Zechariah heard these stories anew, and now he sees that they are coming alive. They are being fulfilled. God has indeed looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. And in this redemption, what is it that God has saved them from And what is it that God has saved them for? In verse 71, Zechariah sings that they are saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And then again, in verse 74, he says they are rescued from the hands of enemies. So the redemption that God brings is from enemies, from all those who would stand against them, from those who would cause them harm, for those who would discourage their hearts and taunt their spirits, God saves from our enemies. But verse 74 doesn't end there. It goes on to say that God saves them. It says that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So God does save from enemies, but the reason why he does that is to save them for service without fear, that we might grow in God with no obstacles before us. The stories of David and Abraham are finally coming true. The redemption spoken of in the covenant and the prophets of old is finally happening. But this freedom isn't just freedom for freedom's sake. It's freedom for the sake of life, of service, of 
removing fear, life without fear. God redeems us, as I've said already, not just to be good church people doing good church things, but to become fully alive in his kingdom. This is what Zechariah discovers in his months of silence, that the present reality of redemption for him comes into sharp focus, and he can't hold it in. So he breaks forth into this song. So then after looking back at David and Abraham to see this grand sweep of past promises coming true into the present moment, he then looks down at his newborn son, John, and ultimately looks forward to what he's going to do and to the coming of Jesus. As Zechariah sings to John and ultimately about Jesus, the present begins to point toward the future, and it's a future filled with hope. So in verse 76, he sings to his newborn, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And then in verse 78, he alludes to the ultimate arrival of Jesus by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us. And so in these glimpses of coming redemption, what, God is, what is God saving them from and what is God saving them for, right? We have the same two questions in this section. And again, in verse 77, we see that God is saving his people from their sins. He's saving them, giving them knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. And then in verse 79, he saves them, it says, from darkness and from the shadow of death. But just like before, that's not where it ends. Because God does not only save from he also saves for. God, it says, gives light to the ones who sit in darkness. And he guides our feet into ways of peace. God saves from darkness and sin, but he does this in order to lead us into light and peace. So God's goal isn't just for people to not sin. He doesn't just want a people who don't sin, but rather a people who do shine. He doesn't want a people just without enemies, but a people who actually make peace. God's goal isn't just for us to be good church people, doing good church things, but rather for us to actively live in the kingdom, making peace with our enemies, shining light in the darkness. And the good news of all of this is that the Lord has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. It's the Lord who does this. It is by his tender mercy that the dawn from on high will break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness. So all those scary places of darkness are beginning to be filled with light. He is transforming them into pathways of peace. 
And so as we close things up here, I have two questions for you. And I have one practice to challenge you in this week. The first question is, what is it that God is saving you from? Or another way of asking, who are your enemies and what are your sins? Enemies might be some kind of crushing burden on your heart. Could be a constant temptation that continues to arise. Could be some kind of paralyzing fear that always persists. Or an enemy could be an actual person that just seems to have it out for you. Someone who constantly gets on your nerves. Who are your enemies? And what are your sins? What is God saving you from? But there's a second question, because that's not the end of the story. The second question is, what is God saving you for? What service is he calling you to? What peace is he guiding you into? What is he calling you to do? Or who is he calling you to serve? What is God saving you for? So those are the two questions to ponder. And as we ponder them, you know, we can kind of get rallied up maybe, you know, you start thinking, what is it that God's calling me to and what am I going to go do? But here's the practice that I want to challenge you in this week. And it might not be what you think, because I'm not going to ask you to go and commit acts of service or to go out and, and make peace with enemies. I'm not even asking you to read and study the Bible this week. I've challenged you to do that before. This week, my challenge for you is something harder than any of these things. My challenge is silence. Before you do anything, be still. Quiet your heart. Wait for the Lord. Because in the midst of silence, just like Zechariah, maybe some of those old Bible stories will cease to be just stories and begin to rise up fresh and new once more. In the midst of silence, just like Zechariah, maybe the present moment will begin to be more than just a moment and begin pressing forward to a future that's filled with hope. So this week, be still. Quiet your heart. Wait for the Lord. You see, Christmas is coming. And it will be a time of song and celebration. And every time we go to the store, every time we turn on the radio, we're reminded that Christmas is coming. In fact, some seem to think it's already here because the songs just keep playing. But the lesson of Advent is learning to wait. Because Advent is not yet a season of celebration. It is a season of waiting and longing. Zechariah's song, it's long and dense and powerful, but the lesson 
of Zechariah is that the song of celebration begins in silence. So as we wrap up here, before we sing our next song, I want to start this practice together here. And so for just a moment, I want to challenge us together. Be still. Quiet your heart. Wait for the Lord.